Hello, everyone. Misaligned is back with our third episode of the new season. We are already getting our book club episode out of the way, but before we dive into that, I want to let you all know that Misaligned is part of the Modern Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. You can find all of the shows over at modern-vinyl.com. And again, this episode, we are sponsored by 6131 Records. So right now you're going to listen to a clip of Sprained Ankle by Julian Baker. like me and we're late to the party on Julian's album, you should definitely, definitely go listen to that because it's great. And now we are going to discuss our book pick, which is You Don't Know Me, But You Don't Like Me by Nathan Rabin or Rabin. I'm not really sure which, but we'll go with one of those and stick with it for the episode. I'm sorry in advance for butchering your name if you ever listen to this. I think I'm going to go with Rabin because I feel like Rabin would be two Bs like rabbit or something. But anyway. The English language, it's, <laughs> it's something. It is because it doesn't make sense at all. But Megan, I think it's probably safe to say that you enjoyed this way more than I did because I didn't really enjoy it by the end of it. So it's not at the fault of... The writer, I think it was just, you know, I didn't really have an interest in the insane clown posse at all, pretty much. And for me, I thought it started out pretty well because I felt like, you know, at the beginning, he was sort of really diving into the two bands and what their fan bases were like. But then by the end of it, I was just like, I feel like I've heard this like 20 times throughout the book already. And the other interesting thing about this book is that it's not really set out into sections of, oh, well, this is specifically the first half, so we're just going to talk about fish the whole time, or this is the second half and we'll talk about ICP the whole time. Nathan goes and interposes them one after the other. So you could have a chapter on fish and then immediately go into a chapter on the insane clown posse, which can get a little, little confusing, but... It works. Did he do it chronologically then? Because that's what it felt like to me when I was reading it. I believe so. Okay. Because after the introductory chapter, What Madness Have I Gotten Myself Into? The first chapter is Stepping Into Tomorrow, Fish in Miami 2009. Right. So there's two chapters on fish and then it goes into three chapters of ICP. Then it's a... A chapter I will go into a little bit more discussion later on because it's kind of funny. Then another ICP, fish, more fish, yeah. And I feel like there might be more fish-related chapters in this book than there were ICP. Really, I felt the opposite. 
probably because you, well, didn't really like the ICP. It felt like to me the the ICP chapters were longer. Maybe. I know that the one I'm casually flipping through, back in a New York groove feeling like a karma billionaire at Super Bowl 2011, um, not only does he talk about fish, but then he goes and juxtaposes that alongside ICP, comparing the gathering of the Juggalos with Super Bowl. And uh, this is quite something. If you understand jam band culture and if you understand Juggalo culture, it's a lot easier to follow. I know that I went to high school with several Juggalos and Juggalettes. Therefore, I had some exposure to Juggalo culture, which isn't uncommon in small towns. Like if you look at people who go to the gathering of the Juggalos, they very much look like people you'd see in small towns, complete with bad homemade tattoos that make me fear for their lives because you don't know what they could have from those bad tattoos. Right. But if you look at the fish fans, sure, they're super hippie-like and they're pretty mellow and not at all, well, for lack of a better word, ratchet. They seem to be more educated than the juggalos. So it's just an interesting two groups to juxtapose in the same book. And I know you really didn't like juggalo culture or ICP. And I'm over here just laughing about how entertaining they are because they are. The FBI thinks that they're a cult or actually, no, not a cult per se, but a gang in which they actually had a March of the Juggalos in DC not too long ago, which unfortunately coincided with a pro-Trump rally on the same day. And, well, fish fans, at least a lot of the ones that I know, tend to be more on the liberal side of things. Yeah, and for, for me, I just never paid attention to either of these bands before, really. Fish, I had heard of because Marco Arment, who makes Overcast, which is the podcast app that I use, He's talked about them on other podcasts that I listen to because he has his own podcast, the Accidental Tech Podcast. And then I believe he was a guest on another podcast I was listening to that isn't around anymore. And he talked about one of the Fish albums. And to me, you know, I don't really have a problem with Fish. I just don't really listen to them or have an interest in them. But it really felt like when I was reading the Fish chapters it was very similar to reading about the Grateful Dead because it was a very, very similar kind of culture because they're both these jam bands and sort of cater to the same kind of fan. Exactly. And I do actually want to talk about that for a little bit too because the radio station that I volunteer with and I'm a member of, WNRN, actually has a program that airs on Saturday mornings. It's called The Grateful Dead and Friends Show, and Friends is spelled P-H-R-I-E-N-D-S. And basically, it's from 9 a.m. to noon, and they play music from Fish, from The Grateful Dead, because both hosts are diehard fans of both bands. But then they'll also throw in other jam bands, such as Umphreys McGee, Les Claypool, and Widespread Panic. 
And a lot of these bands you can actually find performing at festivals such as Lockin, which takes place in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. Which actually does seem like a nice counterpart to the Gathering of the Juggalos, which also tends to take place in the middle of nowhere, but perhaps in an area that isn't as nice. I'm looking at the most recent playlist from this show. And usually the first two hours are all Grateful Dead songs, which that's a lot if you're not actually a Grateful Dead fan or even the Jerry Garcia band. And then the friendlier hour, as they call it, will play a lot of songs from Fish, Widespread Panic, Umphreys McGee, etc., etc. And those songs can go on forever. Like, the point of jam bands is, well, actually, two commonalities between the Fish fan base and the Juggalos is that you can go to a concert and sit there and smoke pot all you want and just enjoy the experience. I should warn y'all that the episode we're currently recording is going to be a bit of a not safe for work one. We probably should have thrown this in at the beginning, but eh. We're still early. It's it's very not safe for work and it's going to get even more not safe for work. So please don't listen to this at work without headphones or please don't click on any links that we may suggest at a work computer unless you want to potentially be fired or have your eyes scarred for like all eternity. Yeah, and this book is one where even the author himself sort of gets engrossed in this culture a bit too and I really lost track of how many drugs he said he did by the end of the book because it seemed like a very very large amount yep but this is one of those books where you know like I said I thought it started off well and then he had some really great descriptions in it but then by the end of it I was just sort of left feeling like okay what did I just read because it felt like one big redundant book and one of the quotes I did want to point out that happens early on in the book it's on page 23 he says I would have to recalibrate the way I processed music I would need to stop worrying and love the dreaded extended guitar solo and if he was going into this unbiased I'm not entirely sure why he felt the need that he would have to like these bands and like the music. And I do believe that his girlfriend at the time was a big Fish fan. And that's sort of what led him into writing about them to begin with. I think so. It just seemed odd to me that he felt the need to try and love the dreaded extended guitar solo because no one was forcing him to enjoy the music necessarily. True, but I don't think you realize how long these guitar solos can be. (laughs) They're pretty long. But I mean, he opens the book with, it begins, as these things generally do, with a girl. When I was 25 years old in 2001, I traveled to Marietta, Georgia to visit my younger sister Sherry and became instantly enraptured with a radiant 17-year-old friend of hers I will call Cadence Carraway. They spent an hour together over brunch, but this girl's memory haunted him over the years. And then she contacted him on the AV Club's message boards, RIP to their message boards and their original commenting system now that they're part of Kinja. But... 
He says, we fell in love via emails and phone conversations before beginning a long-distance romance that found us shuttling back and forth between Providence, Rhode Island, where Cadence was getting her master's in teaching from Brown, and my hometown of Chicago. So, as it all begins, it's with a girl. But also in this chapter, I liked how he said, Part of the revulsion people feel toward fish and insane clown posse is physical in nature. Being a hardcore insane clown posse fan is an intensely visceral experience involving sticky clown makeup, soda-soaked clothing, homemade tattoos, and in the case of the gathering of the juggalos, thousands of juggalos gathering in a remote, drug, sex, and alcohol-choked rural environment for days on end with extraordinary with extraordinarily limited access to showers, toiletries, and other niceties. On a primal level, a lot of people find juggalos just plain gross. Which is true. In the AV Club's 2015 gathering of the juggalos page, also written by Nathan, we will link to this, the first comment that I see says, da-da-da-da-da, this looks like a shitty bunch of hillbillies doing drugs and having sex. And it's basically one big family there. On the contrary, as I was saying earlier, the difference in demographic between the two, he writes that fish fans aren't held in the same contempt, in part because their fan base tends to be better educated and wealthier than the overwhelmingly working class juggalos. But as the biggest and best known jam band in existence, fish is one of the primary targets of our culture's longstanding anti-hippie bias. By the time I went to college in Madison, Wisconsin in 1994, Fish was the hippie band, just as The Grateful Dead was the hippie band for generations before it. Like The Grateful Dead, Fish tends to be judged by the culture and attitudes of its fans as much as the content of its music. And in a sense, he adds that as a college kid, I came to see Fish as the band whose music you were casually forced to listen to in exchange for a free bowl of pot. Kind of sounds like Dave Matthews on this coast. If it wasn't a white guy with a guitar saying, anyway, here's Wonderwall. It was someone either listening to Fish or Dave Matthews. It's like, hey, you want to smoke up with me? Like that sort of thing. Whereas you really wouldn't see that with a juggalo unless it was involved with a lot of whoop whoop fam and uh, harder stuff than pot, really. Right. And... He also said that he had no idea if he liked the band Fish. Right. So very early on, you're getting that as, okay, he might not like him. He might like him. We don't know. And this is a book that was written over the course of two years. Oh, and he said it's a much different book from the tidy anthropological tome I set out to write, but it's also the only book I could have written honestly and with a clear conscience. He wanted to do a book about the musical fandom from the outside in, but he ended up writing a book about fandom from the inside out. So what was expected to be something of an outsider's view, which is what I thought this was going to be, really, like his experiences with these two completely different bands and their fan groups, ended up him becoming enmeshed with both cultures of what makes each band group unique. Yeah, and I think for me, I was sort of really hoping for that outside-in perspective because then it certainly would have been a much different book too, but I feel like because he ended up being so immersed in it, 
it wasn't quite the perspective I was hoping for because then it sort of just felt like, oh, well, you know, he's sort of looking at this from the point of view where he's enjoying himself now with these fans. So it didn't really feel quite like the analysis on the fan base that I was looking for. But he did have a pretty good description about the fish fans and sort of what happens when you meet them. And it's on page 133. He said, Fish friendships are often defined by their ephemeral nature. It's not at all unusual to meet someone at a fish show, take drugs with them, experience a fierce emotional connection, vow to remain in touch, then never see them again or catch a fleeting glimpse of them a few shows down the road. And that right there was probably the best description that I saw in the book of what it's like going to a fish show and meeting people there. That's true. And he also said that in that respect, the fish friend is a lot like the proverbial drug friend. The overlap can be tremendous and dispiriting. I know that over the course of my trip, I always felt a little sad when fish friendships morphed slowly but surely into drug friendships. So they kind of go hand in hand with each other. And today, there are people who follow fish around like they follow the Grateful Dead around. I don't think that there's a proper term for the fish fandom. I'm going to actually look that up right now because the Grateful Dead had the deadheads. Right. And it really doesn't have the first few. Oh, here it is. Fans. P-H-A-N-S. Fans of fish. (laughs) Clever. Yes. And they formed in Vermont in 1983. Interestingly enough, these results are actually kind of interesting if you Google fish fandom, because there's a Vogue article that is from 2015 entitled, What It's Like to Be Married to a Fish Fan. There's also an interview with MSNBC's Katie Turr about her life with the fish fandom. Huh. Interesting. But yes, of note, the most interesting thing is that (laughs) on the Muppet Wikia, there is an entrance or an entry for fish. And it says references. First seen in episode 4809 of Sesame Street, the fridge in Elmo's apartment is shown to have a small muumuu dress attached. It is directly based on that famously worn by fish drummer John Fishman, F-I-S-H, not P-H-I-S-H, at many of their concerts. And the connection that they have with the Muppets is that David Gallo does a lot of the scene productions for Sesame Street. And he was actually the production designer for several fish concerts. So there's your really useless but kind of cool fish tidbit that you couldn't actually find in the book. Because I don't think Sesame Street would be a very appropriate leeway or segue in this book. (laughs) Probably not, but... I know we have quite a bit more that you wanted to discuss on Insane Clown Posse, but before we do that, do you want to tell us a little bit more about 6131 Records? Why, certainly. Over the weekend, I had the awesome opportunity to go to their soft opening of their storefront in Richmond, Virginia. 6131 has been a sponsor of Misalign for a while now, and that's awesome. Thank you. 
They have a lot of shirts and merch at their web store over at shop.6131records.com. And they have restock shirts from Julian Baker, Culture Abuse, as well as their classic 6131 logo tee. You can also find these tees at their physical storefront. And you should keep your eyes and ears peeled for more information about the physical storefront if you're in Virginia or even the Richmond area because it's a nice small shop. And if you're too far away from there and still want to get some uh, swag, 6131 is offering misaligned listeners a discount to their store. Use MV10 for 10% off your next purchase on 6131 apparel and releases. You can use it once per customer and with an order of $10 or more. We've been talking a lot about Sammy Lanzetta and Kindling, and Sammy was actually one of the special guests that performed at their soft opening. She performed songs off of her 4 Avery EP, which was released in October and was one of our favorite EPs of 2017. In November, Hush by Kindling was put out, and the storefront actually has some extra copies of the first pressing of Hush. So that's really cool. Sammy's going to be out on the road soon, and she has a lot of tour dates up on her website and her Facebook page and the 6131 Twitter. Thunder Dreamer's out on tour. The Winter Passing is going through the United Kingdom and Ireland. And there's just so many great things that the 6131 bands are doing. If you want any more information on the bands or more tour dates, you can visit 6131records.com. Definitely do that. And, you know, I keep talking about buying one of their shirts. Probably by the time you all hear this, I will have actually done so and ordered one for myself because they look fantastic. But now we're going to get back to the book discussion here. And Megan, I think this next quote that I have sort of really sums up the reason why I just did not care for Insane Clown Posse or their fan base at all. And the quote is from one of the fans, actually, who said he copped to getting shot in the leg while innocently waving a gun at the person who shot him. There is no such thing, in my opinion, as innocently waving a gun at someone, first of all. So this was one of those points in the book where I was very, very tempted to just stop reading, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's where the education level kind of comes in, too. Because a lot of gathering of the juggalo, or a lot of people who attend the gathering of the juggalos are seen as your stereotypical rednecks, and they're the group that would actually innocently wave a gun at someone, just be like, hey, how you doing? Look at my gun. I just got it. Like, that sort of thing. But maybe that's just from my experience with the juggalos I went to high school with. I don't know. But I don't know. I loved reading about the gathering of the juggalos and ICP. A lot, like, probably the one song that a lot of people know from them, because it was referenced all over the place after it was released, was Miracles. With the iconic line, fucking magnets, how do they work? If you haven't watched that video, I recommend watching it because it's it's pretty entertaining. I can honestly say that I still have not listened to a song from either band, even though we read this entire book on them. I just had no interest in going and doing so. (laughs) I think at the very least, you should listen to Magnets or at least watch the video. And I think SNL parodied the song as well. But 
I enjoy the fact that when he does have a transition from fish into insane clown posse, the chapter is goodbye, Woodstock. Hello, gathering of the juggalos. Curious times in Cave and Rock. I don't remember what year this was initially, but, oh, hmm. This is where it gets super not safe for work. When you go to the Gathering of the Juggalos, it's not unusual to see women with stickers over their boobs, women with their boobs just blatantly out, women walking around in G-strings, and, well, basically women wearing as little as possible. You will be hit with Fago, which sometimes is in a super soaker. If you aren't familiar with Fago, it's a soda the soda of choice for the Juggalos. From what I've heard, their candy apple flavor is one of the best. Somehow I feel like I would get diabetes if I had a sip of that. But you will also see lots of men, particularly young men, carrying around signs that say, show me your tits. And, boy, it's just literally all boobs. Boobs all the time. I believe they have strip clubs there, too. It's it's kind of objectifying, but that's the culture. And Rabin writes, Within five minutes of hitting the gathering, Cadence was propositioned twice. And these are basically a plethora of brave souls carrying cardboard signs, begging juggalettes to relieve them of their cursed virginity. And he writes, A gentleman on a stage next to the tent where Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope would be giving what I liked to think of as a state of the juggalo address had planted a sign into the ground reading, Hey, so do you, the letter you, think you, why are you, have a nice rack? Are you thirsty? Show me your titays, T-I-T-T-A-Y-S, dot, 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 please. And for some reason, the E is capitalized at the end. And get a free drink. It's hot, stay wet, Whoop whoop. If anything, the barbecue I attended a few summers ago would be a moderately tame event compared to the gathering of the Juggalos. Still kind of gross. Still made you want to shower immediately after leaving the venue, but at least you didn't leave covered in fago or surrounded by all of these extremely crude, objectifying signs. I feel like this is something that definitely would not fly literally anywhere else. Right. Uh, continuing on into this chapter, he writes, A strawny-looking African-American man wandered around with a sign pleading, First gathering, please show ass, pussy, or tits. They're very blunt in what they want and when they want it. And there's an... In- Okay, so occasionally the gathering of the Juggalos gets announced with an infomercial. So the 2010 infomercial featured uh, copious free-flowing nudity. Um, It's not really family coming together. It's just if you're a teenager, your hormones are going crazy and just yikes. Oh my. And then, if you're a feminist, you might be extremely offended by what you read. In this, if you're not super familiar with how the Juggalos work, but uh, they have wet t-shirt contests, and instead of being sprayed with water, they get sprayed with Fago. People with video cameras will be like, hey, do you know each other? Are you guys into women? Let's see a little kiss, but you need to get your hands out of the way like in those porno movies. A little more tongue, one last kiss. 
and also won the sweat t-shirt contest, women were asked for their names and their favorite sex positions. Ashley, doggy style, enthused the first contestant. Lindsay, fucking from behind, squeaked the second. The ass or vagina, the host countered with an incongruous nonchalance that undercut the sleaziness of the question ever so slightly. Oh boy, here's where it gets even worse. The rest of the girls expressed a pronounced preference for doggy style, but one per- contestant boldly established her individuality individuality by bragging, My name is Rook from Detroit, Michigan, whoop whoop, and I like any position except for boring because I am one erratic, she might have meant to say erotic, son of a bitch. In the third round, to make it to the finals, they were asked to fake an orgasm. Yikes. Oh, yes. This is like a super yikes chapter. This is just the intro to the gathering of the Juggalos. Right. One contender didn't want to use her imagination, so she literally went to town on herself on stage. Clearly, you know, public indecency laws don't apply to these people. Really doesn't sound like there's a lot of cops around. And I mean, when Ron Jeremy, famed porn star with an iconic mustache and yeah if he's hosting of course things are going to get a little raunchy but this was also i think the year where um tila tequila performed i remember reading about her in here yeah they did not treat her very well at all when she was on stage no and if you actually google about her today She's like a Nazi and she has a daughter and somehow I feel like CPS needs to get involved just for the sake of the welfare of this poor child. That's not good. But yes, um, Violent J and Shaggy 2 Dope sent out exquisitely mixed signals about how its rabid fan base should treat Tila Tequila, the notorious MySpace celebrity, singer, and reality show personality who was the most unexpected addition to the 2010 gathering of the Juggalos lineup. Violent J acknowledged that it was funny as shit to watch somebody get hit with a dead fish or pelted with piss, and that juggalos should feel free to behave however they see fit. But every performer at the gathering was a guest of the psychopathic family, and psychopathic records is the ICP label, and should enjoy the same privileges afforded the boondoxes, anybody killers, and blaze ya dead homies of the world. Then we've got Shaggy 2 Dope saying, I'm trying to fuck that bitch, yo, so don't you be fucking it up for me. Yikes. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it was the tequila, tequila section, but I also remember reading something where some guy, like, pooped into a bottle or something and peed in it and was throwing that around in the air, which, you know, it's one thing to throw a water bottle that is open, but a whole other thing to be doing that with bodily fluids and excrement. (laughs) Yeah, that's... See, if you saw someone doing that at Warped, you would immediately be disgusted and would probably sick the authorities on them. But at the Gathering of the Juggalos, they have something called Drug Bridge, where you can get all sorts of illicit drugs to your heart's desire. So I'm pretty sure if there's something like that, then there's really no regard for any decency whatsoever. I'm sure some of these people were high on bath salts and surprisingly weren't eating people's faces. So I think that is like one thing people would object to is someone eating their face. Maybe. At least the fish crowd isn't nearly as raunchy or violent and gross as the ICP crowd. Like, I'll admit I've been to one jam band show in my entire life 
and that is because it was at a beer festival in Richmond last summer, and the band Lettuce was playing, and basically everyone in the audience was toking up, and some guy was smoking pot with a baby on his shoulders, and I was like, this can't be good. I was sober, eating cheesecake on a stick, very happy, and the crowd was just so mellow and nice. Do I ever want to go see another jam band in my life? No. I will probably have to be, like, drunk off my ass to go see another jam band like Lettuce. I don't get the appeal. But, uh, yeah, I can't see fish fans throwing human excrement or, like, objectifying women in crude ways at a show, let alone a festival. (sighs) And it's odd that, you know, they consider themselves family at the ICP concerts when they act nothing like it, pretty much. Basically, if you're a fan of ICP, you are in a large family. Like, every ICP member or every ICP fan is a member of your family. Even if you've never met, even if you're not related, it's very bizarre and weird. And at least, you know, this book has a small interlude where Nathan becomes, well, a weird owl writer. Like, that's the hidden gem of this whole book. With the hilariously named short chapter, a brief, unfortunately emo chapter in which our unreliable narrator loses his shit and fucks up big time, and also, in a really strange turn of events, becomes an employee of Weird Al Yankovic. Weird Al is the wholesome content we needed in this book to balance out the two polarizing fan bases. Weird Al is Nathan's childhood hero, and he got a DM from him one day, announcing, or I guess maybe it just says Twitter message. I don't know how it really worked in the early, I don't know really what you would call this current decade. But uh, yeah, Weird Al wanted Nathan to tell his story. He wanted him to write a coffee table book about his life and career with him for Abram's image. It's like, I probably should not have accepted this, but I couldn't resist. How do you say no to Weird Al? You don't. So it's not bad. It's a nice, you know, it gets your brain cleansed a little. It also felt like he knew that nothing was going as planned for him because you even have moments in the book where, you know, he's sort of realizing, oh, wow, I might not have a job when I get back home if I don't, you know, get this stuff written and get something down for this piece that I'm working on or whatever. And I know you have something from the AV Club that you want to discuss as sort of a follow-up to the book, technically, since it came out after the book. Right, because this book was published in 2013, and Nathan attended the 2015 gathering of the Juggalos. So there are some pictures in here that are pretty safe for work. There's a sign, like, right when you open this article, it says, Welcome Home Juggalos. There's a hatchet girl and a hatchet man on it and it's conveniently next to a case of Baja Blast Mountain Dew. So even though you'll see a lot of Fago, Juggalos still have great, great taste in sodas. And I wish you could still get it in cans. But yes, it says uh, he opens this article with the word family is ubiquitous at the gathering of the Juggalos, the infamous yearly festival of arts and culture thrown by Detroit's notorious insane clown posse. It is used by juggalos only slightly less frequently than Smurfs use Smurf and Jews employ Shalom and serves a similarly vast array of purposes. And it refers less to the nuclear families or conventional families to the makeshift family that constitutes the whole of juggalo nation. 
2015 was his fourth trip to this, quote, strange horrorcore Shangri-La. And he actually took this piece and expanded on it by exploring the different iterations of what family means. The first family surprised him because it wasn't really a juggalo surrogate family like a traditional one, but it was a group of people naming Manning a Juggalos for Jesus booth. And they passed out um, little postcards that said, meet some other Jesus freaks that used to be Juggalos. Visit facebook.com slash backslash from Juggalo to Jesus freak. And then it lists people's like actual Facebook pages. And that's, if you're religious, this might actually offend you because their booth contains a photo of a Juggalo being carried in the arms of Jesus. And he asked a woman about the preaching that the Juggalos for Jesus did because you really don't think of them as like a super hyper-religious group. She said they didn't preach at all, but rather were dedicated to giving out free Fago, free water, free mixtapes of artists ostensibly working that strange intersection of Christian rap and Juggalo hip-hop and bagged lunches. Nathan asks, how did you guys get such a plum spot here at the gathering? I don't think people who enter the gates expect to see Christians handing out food immediately upon entering. The woman answered, I guess it was just God's grace, I suppose. I imagine she said that in a sweet little southern accent, too. And, of course, the gathering of the Juggalos is very much a festival where you can get great festival food like giant turkey legs, nachos, corn dogs. I'm sure you could get cheesecake on a stick there, too. If you haven't had it, you should try because it's delicious. But then he also witnessed, you know, the Psychopathic Records family and the extended family of artists embraced by both ICP and Juggalos. So artists like Tech Nine, Cottonmouth Kings, Mad Child, and Wolfpack. And other artists who are designed to appeal to non-Juggalos appeared, like Ice Cube, Ghetto Boys, Scarface, and Busta Rhymes, who you may recently have seen in a commercial for... What was it? Doritos? I believe it was Doritos. I'm still stuck on the fact that someone said juggalo hip hop as if it's its own genre. It kind of is. It's something. If I look up Gathering of the Juggalos, we're also going to link to a piece from Chicagoist who have pictures from the most recent Gathering of the Juggalos. I just want to see a lineup. I'll just see if this works. Let's hope that this doesn't, you know, give me... Okay, this is last year's page. It's Gathering of the Juggalos, the 18th annual. Beaming in 17. Yeah, you know what? Looking at these artists is kind of kind of interesting. Uh, see, an artist named Kung Fu Vampire performed on the Diamond stage. L-Y-T-E, Mad Child, Mushroom Head, Christian Rock Legends, P.O.D. performed last year. Uh, a hard... A deathcore band called Upon a Burning Body, fan favorite Vanilla Ice, Waka Flocka Flame, and uh, many more were on the Diamond stage this year. They have different stages and different um, events that take place too. So you'll see a lot of rappers, you'll see a lot of metalcore and deathcore. You'll see bands like Miss May I performing. I'm being 100% serious, they were on here. Shaggy 2 Dope does a solo super show. And, oh god, this intro. Fuck the fuck off, motherfucker. It's the Southwest Strangler himself, 
fresh off his reign at the tippy top of the Billboard charts with the help of the Juggalo Nation and his loyal DJ, Clay, by his side. Okay. I don't even know what to do with any of that. (laughs) You know what? Honestly, the only band that I've just named that our listeners probably know is Miss May I. And from what I've heard from bands in the metalcore scene, it almost seems like a rite of passage to be asked to perform at the Gathering of the Juggalos. But some of these band names are uh, something. Involve a lot of numbers and misspellings like Street Jacket, S-T-R, number eight, J-A-K-E-T. Yeah, this this is worth looking up. But then they also have um, a comedy stage there. I'm really glad that Fish fans don't paint their face. I'm just going to say that right now. Because <laughs> if you're terrified of clowns, you probably would not want to go to the Gathering of the Juggalos. I'm guessing not. No. Um, it's something. That is definitely one way to describe it. <laughs> yes. In contrast... You know, festivals that have fish playing are much better. I mean, they've got jam band websites devoted to this, like bandsthatjam.com. I know that fish played Lockin in the past, and this year, Dead and Company will be playing, featuring John Mayer. I might end up going to that because I, I like John Mayer. You like John Mayer. Wouldn't hurt to see John Mayer perform Grateful Dead songs, you know? But uh, yeah, so Fish will be coming back to Watkins Glen, New York for a three-day festival in August of this year. And it says here, if previous Fish festivals at the world-famous racetrack are any indication, we can expect Fish to play eight sets over three days. That's insane. Like, they only do these festivals once every three to four years. Right. So, you know, it's not nearly something as long as Gathering of the Juggalos. So... Yep, 2018, it's about time, because Super Bowl was in 2011, and Magna Ball was in 2015. So there's really nothing else about this festival except for the fact that it's called Festival 11. Yeah, I think my main thing with the book is that it didn't really do anything for me in the way of caring about either of the bands. So it was just one of those things where I read it and I was like, okay. I know all this stuff about them, and I probably won't do much with it other than record this episode. Yeah, I know you were a little skeptical about this, too. But it's just such an interesting, interesting subculture of people to look at. Also, it's also really funny to go through previous year's lineups. Oy. Like, some of these bands also sound like something that you wouldn't want your kids listening to, which is true you probably don't want your kids listening to this fish is probably more wholesome for them right oh yeah cannibal corpse played one year this is really terrifying okay i need to get off of this before i end up in like a dark part of the internet that will like oh yeah attila asking alexandria i'm gonna end up in a dark part of the internet soon i fear (laughs) yeah well i know you also put in a link here from the Chicago is that is just a bunch of photos so we will have that and like Megan mentioned earlier not safe for work don't open these anywhere you don't want other people to see it it's uh boob city but thankfully it's not full frontal boobs they are you know covered but for the sake of not clicking things at work don't click it at work well is there anything else you want to touch on with the book before we dive into recommendations if you want to be entertained I would say go for it like it's worth reading i would probably give it about a three out of five just because 
it gets into gross detail that doesn't appeal to the feminist side of me. I don't even remember if I rated the book, honestly. <laughs> uh, usually you have your ratings in our doc and it's not in here. I'm checking Goodreads. I might have just marked it red and that is it. Yep, that's what I did. I just marked it red and left it at that. <laughs> but I know we both have some music recommendations this week, which seems to be a rare occurrence these days because I suck at listening to music, apparently. Yeah, it's nice to have two music recs this week. Mine is a song and it is Frank Ocean's cover of Moon River. It's so good. If you like the original and you like Frank Ocean You'll like this one. It's a nice little cover. Yeah, I saw the news for that, but have not listened to it. Obviously, I will have done so by the time everyone is hearing this episode, but it's one of those things that is probably shoved away in Instapaper somewhere for me to get to later. But my recommendation is Every Little Thing by the band Hurry, and they're a band from Philly. One of the guys went to Drexel, and he was actually just on... The 100 Words or Less podcast, too, so I'll probably link to that in here because it was a good conversation, and I just definitely recommend this album. It, it's just a pleasant album to listen to, and I think everyone should check this band out. They're on Lamo Records, so, you know, they're always putting out some good stuff. We love the Lamo crew, too. Consistently putting out such awesome releases. Yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps up our largely ICP episode here. I know we did talk about fish a little bit, but not quite as much. So we will be back with episodes on Beyonce, the Killers, and a bunch of other artists who have these big fandoms surrounding them. But for now, you can find us on Twitter. I am at DChap. That is with three E's because literally no good version of my name is available on Twitter. It's kind of annoying. And you can find Megan at Megan with an underscore at the end. And the podcast is at Misaligned Pod. And if you have any feedback, you can do that on Twitter or email us at misalignedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to sponsor the podcast, you can contact advertising at modern-vinyl.com. And, you know, you've been listening to our ad reads for 6131 Records, so you have a good idea of what to expect if you're listening this far into the episode. But on that note, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.